This is Joe Basso with Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm sitting with Dave Kooning, guitarist for The Killers. Hello. Dave, Dave, how are you? Pretty good. Before we talk about the new album, I'd like to do a little history here. When did you start playing? At what age? I started playing at 14 years old. I was actually grounded, and um, I was bored, and I bought a guitar for $40 off a friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to like everybody else, I just tried to figure out smoke in the water. Right. And then, you know, I tried to figure out Aerosmith songs and ACDC songs, and it just grew from there. And I spent just hours in my bedroom trying to learn these, learn songs and and practice. And I, uh, I think I knew early on that's I just I just loved playing guitar. Aside from ACDC and Deep Purple, what kind of music turned you on, and, and what what guitarist per se? Angus Young was was my was my favorite, and still to this day is a guitarist I respect a lot. He's he's a, it's a great guitar to to get started on, you know. He's he's because he's using guitar to the to the most, you know, that should be used. But you know, not everybody has to play like him. Like I don't I don't I don't end up sounding anything like him, but. My fingers learned a lot from him. Then when I was in high school, I kind of shifted into a grunge phase. Okay. Right around, you know, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Soundgarden, and stuff like that. And I was really, really, really into the Smashing Pumpkins. And I remember just, I would, uh, I had a five-disc CD changer in my room, and I would, I would make like a, a big set list of, of like five Smashing Pumpkins songs in a row, then four or five Nirvana ones, then some more Smashing Pumpkins ones, and then maybe a few, you know, of somebody else, and I would just play them all in a row and just try and play along to it. So now this was in Iowa, where you this grew up? This is in up. Pella, Iowa, yeah. Obviously, most bands don't come from Iowa, aside from Slipknot, aside I guess. Aside from Slipknot, that's about it. You had to go somewhere. What made you decide Las Vegas? Ah... Uh, it's it's an interesting story. I, I went to college for a little bit, and I tried to get some bands together there. I did actually. I wasn't actually actually played bass in one band because no band can ever find bass players. Right. So I ended up just saying I'll play bass for you, and that that was about a year during college. And then they all they were a little older. They graduated and moved away, and I ended up dropping out about a year later. And then I just worked. I always wanted to go to California, so. I saved money and I worked I worked like 60 hours a week to save up this money and then finally I just looked on the internet and I just couldn't find anything I kind of just settled on Vegas it was like a third of the price right right and I just wanted to get the heck out because I had just kind of given up on the idea of moving to LA right away and I said well I'll move to Vegas instead it's close to LA and I had been there one time for about a day and I thought it was a pretty weird place and it was kind of intriguing so I thought well, I'll check it out and I moved there. I put out an ad um, in the weekly, like a little you know mm-hmm. thing, to try and start a band. And I think everybody I've met, one way or another, was through the weekly. Wow! Because I found I met my first girlfriend that way. So <laughs> we were in a band, and it was me, my friend Dell, and and, and Desiree, and then. Um, that we that was the first band, and then after a while, Dell quit, and then it was just me and her, and she ended up being my girlfriend, and that kind of 
sucked up about a year of my life. Okay. My first year of Las Vegas, you know, it became from a band to a relationship. And then after we broke up, and I'm, I'm still on good terms with her, but she's moved away to another city. And after she, um, we broke up and she moved, I decided to put out another ad. Right. And then Brandon answered. Okay. So, and then that was better. Moral of the story is don't get involved with women in, in a band. Some money in the band will get involved with her. It just always it happens every single time. Now, when but, the killers really formed and sort of the direction started taking place, as a guitar player, did you balk a little bit at sort of the new wave um, direction? Uh, did you oh, want? Did you want no, to play no. in more of a heavy type band? No, I was I was going that way. I, I mean, I left. I forgot my timeline. Actually, after the Smashing Pumpkins, then I kind of started to drift into new wave and uh, you know new order and Duran Duran, and I was already going that way. So your actually. head was already there. Yeah, and and the the funny thing was actually there was a there was a great '80s radio station in Las Vegas. And, you know, the 80s station was all I would listen to. And I, I just started to, you know, you know, that was the kind of, The Cure right. was a band I was also getting into. And um, even 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 in the previous band I was in, um, Desiree, she was she was heavily into The Smiths. And um, oh, what was her favorite band again? They're from England. Suede. Oh, okay. All she listened to was Suede and David Bowie. And I, so, I, I mean... She kind of helped me a little bit too, um, get into that, go down that road. But I, I think I was open for anything, and I, I think me and Brandon didn't even know what we were going to sound like. We didn't, we didn't really discuss it. We just, we just played, and that's what came out. <laughs> is 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 you know Mr. Brightside and Under the Gun and, and um, all the other stuff on Hot Fuss. How surprised were you at the reaction to Hot Fuss? Because it seemed you guys it just really exploded in the way that most any man would love to. I don't want to sound too, you know, arrogant or whatever, but I just always believed in that record and our songs if they were given a chance. I just thought if they're given a chance by radio or record label or somebody to let the world know they exist you know that I thought that people would like them and and they did and and I think part of that was I was just so I mean before I even met Brandon I was just so disgusted with what was on the radio that I just I really believed that I could if I could write better songs than what was on the radio I believed it and you know now our songs are on the radio so I guess I was right Sam's Town which I think is a great record did the reaction sting a little bit or were you prepared for it it did sting, you know. I mean, there's certain magazines that put it down more than others. Mm-hmm. Some of them were based in New York, but and I don't think it was fair. I don't. I, I just think that to. I mean, if people who are out, some people were out just out to get us, and they didn't. If if we would have stayed exactly the same, they would have butchered us. Right. We went a little different, so they would have been called us. formulatic. Exactly. It would just have been the same thing. But you know, that's 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 the music we wanted to make in two thousand uh, six. Was it six? Yeah. So that's the music we wanted to make at that time, and and it it changes year to year, and that's you know, we're being ourselves, and that's all you can do in this business, really, if you want to stay true. I still thought it was just as much the killers as the other album, and you know, when you were young, that's all. Mm-hmm. That's all part of us, and uh, 
so it it hurt a little bit, but you know, in in the end, I think that we kind of won. I mean, the album did very well in Europe. I think it actually certain parts of Europe it, it exceeded Hot Fuss. Right. It's just certain areas that are hard to hard. It's hard to win. Well, sophomore yeah. albums can be hard. I mean, it's funny. I'm my where my question's going to go, but you know, you two had a lot of flack with the October album. Oh, you sure. know, and yeah. you know, but then look <laughs> look what they came back with. Well, even their you know, it took it took them what like four albums to get to Joshua Tree, I yeah, think, yeah. and that's really like their landmark album. So. You know, I've I've thought before if if certain bands, if you two were out today, they might not have even got to Joshua Tree. They might have been dropped or, you know, butchered up. But it's a different time nowadays. How big of an influence is the Edge on your playing? I mean, I I do hear it. You know, he's a, he's a big influence, and and I envy him in in the fact that he's his sound. He's got a sound and. It's just one of those things. It's like, why didn't I think of that? But he's he came out, you know, like 20 years before me, so I didn't get it. Like, cool tricks with delay and stuff. It's just, you do anything with delay now. And mm-hmm. you, everybody says the edge, but it's just like, well, I'm allowed to use delay. Come on, people. I mean, like, it's not fair. Right. Did he influence your choice of uh, equipment, of, of guitars and pedals? No, not necessarily. I mean, he, like, he uses Vox... AC30s a lot, and I, I went out and bought one of those because mm-hmm. of him. But I ended up not really uh, liking it as much. I mean, it's, it does. I, I like it. It's it's. But what, it, I didn't. Uh, the one I bought didn't sound as good in the studio as other uh, out amps that I had, and they're not really they're not reliable road amps. Right, right. Sorry for the negative. You know whatever Vox but no no free amps from Vox for you no free amp from Vox but they no they they blow up a lot and there just seems to be a lot of problems and and I just I had an amp blow up here a long time ago at the Bowery Ballroom when I was just learning how I hadn't played many shows Mm -hmm. you know I'll never make I learned from those mistakes now I now I have two or three amps going at the same time so if one blows I'm still going but that's a horrible feeling and I don't ever want to have it again because I was just scrambling around on stage trying to get another amp. I think I used another band's amp that wasn't even mine, and I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have time to ask permission or anything. I was this, just like, this is during I'm, the show, right? Yeah, I'm. They, they didn't even stop the song for me. I'm just like, I am using this. I'm sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> and I just had to keep going. Wow. You know, the sound guy's like, what's he doing? You know? Yeah, it was it was a mess, but uh, but yeah. So, but no, but the edges. He's influenced me, and he's and um, what other I, th- I think what other guitar players? I think along with him, I think Billy Corgan is a huge influence, just because I spent so many hours in my room figuring out his songs and his solos and just jamming along, and still someone I look up to this day, and I finally got to meet him, and um, I'm always worried about meeting people I admire because I'm you know think if I don't like them then might not end up liking their music after that but Billy Corgan was cool and despite what people say some people it's a kind of a bad reputation but he was great and isn't it amazing that he is not mentioned with so many of the guitar heroes because he's a monster he is a monster I mean he's probably a little underrated still a lot underrated know. I would say <laughs> so yeah he should be mentioned more often and um yeah, I, I learned a lot from him too, and I think 
I hear it in my playing. I don't know if other people do. It, it's there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the new album, which is called Day and Age. How did you guys go about writing this album? Was it a little different than the other ones? It's a little different, actually. We were a little bit more separate on this one. The other one, I would say especially Hot Fuss, it was more of like we got together and, and practiced every day after work. You know, we would work out the four of our schedules, and we just and we would get together about six days a week and just practiced in Ronnie's hot garage. Mm-hmm. It was like a hundred in there. Wow, you know, it's Vegas. Oh yeah. So, but we would get together in there and just you know work on ideas and jam around and see whatever happened. This one was a, we after we were done touring for Samstown. Um, we took six months apart, and you know, some people would come up with ideas, and which led to all of us kind of recording demos separately on um, Logic, which allows you to email them right. to each other, which we had never done, but finally kind of figured out how to do that. That's so you all use Logic? Yeah, we all use Logic and would um, email email our ideas to each other, and then and Stuart Price, the producer, so he would. He was familiar with him and kind of, you know, tell us his favorites and kind of, he would he would add little drum loops or keyboard parts to stuff even. So this there was a lot of pre-production on this one, I would say, just with those demos. So we kind of knew how things were 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 going before we actually got together. And then we got together in April and practiced about four weeks in a row and we went through everybody's idea there was about 40 of them we went through every single one and um you know kind of weeded out about half of them we ended up recording 19 and 10 are on the album the others are b-sides and whatnot but and might i say thank you for making a great 10 song album where every song is great and there's no loser songs. There's nothing you got to skip through. I don't need 17 songs yeah. where, like, you know, six of them are horrible, but you put them on just because you can. You know, you guys made just a great side A, side B, 10 song album. I just got to say that. Oh, well, that you're welcome. That's you know, that's kind of what we wanted too. I mean, at first there was there was all different talks about what to do at first when we had the 40 songs on the board. With we thought. We might have enough for a double album here, and then, we, you know, as it went on, then we thought, okay, well, or we could do two two albums, and then just put one out later. But then we thought, well, when when's the right time to release the second album? We're going to be on the road for a year and a half, with for this one. Right. So, we just said screw it, and we put the best ten. Yeah. And that's it's hard to, to figure out the best ten of your own material. Sure. You know, other people might know, but we had to try and figure out what the best ten was. And, and put him on the record, and yeah, I am happy that we made that choice, too. What was your agenda with this record, and did the reaction to Sam's Town play into it at all? Um, I don't think the reaction to Sam's Town played in at all, but I, I do think that, you know, we wanted... We, I mean, we just... We still like all different styles of music, whether it's dance or rock or something slow or... Or whatever. So, and we we did give you know at least one dance song to the people who wanted it, which mm-hmm. was Human. Yeah. But I think that stylistically, it's all over the place. So I don't think it had much to do with it. You know, I mean, it wasn't really. To, we never really looked back and discussed Samstown. We just 
wrote all these songs and this is what what came out and uh I, I think it's kind of I don't know what the theme is really because it's kind of just a collection of songs then and then lyrically he wrote a lot of the lyrics afterwards and some of it ties together a little bit but. generally how do you go about recording your your guitar parts do you do you do rhythm tracks and then layer yeah usually you know we we, we play together a little bit and then once we get the drum track, um, or at least a scratch track for Ronnie to play to, then, you know, we let Ronnie go. So we get the drum track, we get the bass track, then I get the rhythm guitar tracks, and any other guitar ideas I have at the time, basically. Like, I might have some weird little atmospheric part or something, and I get that down, and then um, Brandon starts putting keyboards down, and then later it's usually revisited, like if uh, we think it needs a guitar part somewhere, like, which happened qu quite a bit, where we like, this part needs something, and then wouldn't necessarily be a guitar part. They might try a keyboard part, and then they'd be like, no, let's think of a guitar part for right here, and then right. we think of a guitar part, and go from there. It doesn't seem like you put down, like, this wall of rhythm guitars. I mean, it seems like no, it's pretty no. sparse. No, and I try... I don't know, sometimes I try and, and put down less, too, because... It comes out in the in the mix more almost. Right. It's, it's, if you if you put down just a wall of guitars, then it becomes more of a background part. Right. Know? Right. I mean, unless you're a metal band or something, which all the guitars are in the front. <laughs> it's a very emotional album, and some so are, are some of your solos. Uh, your solo on "Losing Touch" is very very anthemic. Um, yeah. How'd you come up with that one? That's that's my favorite solo. I think. Definitely on the album, it's my favorite solo, and um, that actually was something that we did before Stuart was even there. That was that was something I did in practice. We were kind of making um, demos in April with the whole band, and Ronnie would would hit record, and then we we we'd record, and that was something I just did in in practice, just right there, and I think. Almost all of my solos are were, were done in practice, and we would do like three or four of them. Would go, you know, and then Ronnie would keep all of them, and then he would. It's you know, we'd be like, yeah, I really like that one, and then every, other the other guys would say, yeah, I like that one too, and then I couldn't convince them that that I could do better, but I ended up like, because they're like, no, that one's perfect. That's, don't you know, shut up. That's perfect, and. That was the way it was with losing touch. But, so, but I, I kind of agree now. Now I, I like it too. You're really great at the nuanced parts as well. Um, you have this clicky little phased guitar intro to uh, Human. Um, oh yeah. What guitar did you? Now, use? A lot of people don't know that's a guitar part, which is which. Well, I do. No, you do. Yeah. Which the trained ear knows, but I, I won't, I'm trying to get it out there that that, that that's a guitar because I got some girl ended up saying like, oh. I wish there was more guitar on that, and I'm like, well, I'm playing the whole song <laughs> from beginning to end. But yeah, it's not. It's just that it's not a typical guitar part. Yeah, yeah. You know, what what guitar did you use for that? Uh, what did I use? Oh, I was actually kind of a clean, clean, kind of a clean sound played on a hollow body. And I can't remember which one, it, which guitar it was. It was definitely. A, it was like a big hollow body, and. I played it in Stewart's apartment in London. Mm -hmm. That was the first... Human was the first song um, we recorded with Stewart. It was... We had a meeting with him to talk about 
whether or not we were gonna he would be the producer just kind of a, a friendly thing just kind of went out to eat and then Brandon said well I have this song idea if you want you know I'd love to show you and he's like sure let's come back to my apartment and I, I knew something was gonna go happen like probably that would get kept so I you know I went along and that I said hey I got a guitar idea and I just laid that down straight away and that's, that was the first thing I recorded was that guitar part are you using your uh, Starcaster on the album? A little bit, but um, it's it's funny what ends up being better live and better in the studio. And the guitar I use the most on this new album is my Gibson three thirty five. Okay. And I have a, and we what's so it's kind of frustrating actually, but I have I have three Gibson three thirty fives and they all sound different. <laughs> okay, they're, but they're all the same. they're all. Well, one of it is older, and it sounds older. It sounds like a classic rock guitar. And then I have a red one and a black one, and the red one sounds much brighter and, and a little thin. The black one is perfect. It's it's big, it's thick, but it the, the high end comes out too, and, and it's, it's just a loud guitar. And um, it sounds great on, on cleaner stuff. And I use that, that a lot on this album, and I use it a lot live. But, you know, that and, makes uh, sense, though. I mean, you can go into a music store, and they can have uh, 50 strats, that, that's and there'll weird. be that one. Exa- yeah, the strats are all like that. It's, you just, it's hard to find a good one. I mean, there's a lot of good ones, but they all sound different. So depending on what you like, you might be turned off by this one and right. turned on by this one. And I have I have three Stratocasters also, and they all sound different. And um, I still use one live on a few songs. I use one on Neon Tiger. Live, okay, yeah, and yeah. It sounds perfect for that. Um, this, there's a song called "This Is Your Life," where you have this beautiful arpeggiated part. Um, this is your life. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That part. Yeah, yeah. That part just came to me. I just in practice too. I just was like, I just played that straight off, and everybody liked it. And you know, that's what kind of is the outro of the song. And. Uh, I use my black 335 on that one. It, that that's one of my favorite tracks on the album. I think this is your life. It's probably my. It's in my top three. So we're we gonna be seeing you busting out the 335 on tour a lot. Yeah, and part of that actually is because that that guitar was tuned to E. Yeah. And a lot of our songs in the past are in E flat. Right. And I for some reason kept the 335 in E so I could just grab it for the E songs. And so that's why I didn't get used as much in the past, I think. And then I, it is, I don't know why, it just has really grown on me lately. And now I'm kicking myself for not having it in E flat, but I'm just going to keep it how it, how it is because it fits on all, all these new ones perfectly. So, how about amps? Are you still using the uh, Dave Gilmore uh, high watts? I'm still using those. I don't. Uh, they, I just like the way they sound. And then I'm also still using the Hot Rod Deville. Right. So I've got. I've got three amps actually going now. I believe I've got, uh, I think I've got two, two Devilles and a David and the, a David Gilmore running at the same time. And our sound man, he really likes the David Gilmore one. It's running um, on pretty much one sound the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a middle, somewhere between clean and dirty, and it really brings out everything. If I might have a, I might have delay and chorus on the other channel and then he's got this foundational amp going the whole time which is great because that's kind of what I do on the record right right so I can get by kind of pulling this 
two different sounds off live. And then, of course, we've got Ray. He's our fifth guy, sort of, to play some other guitar parts that obviously I can't do at the same time. But Any additions to your uh, effects arsenal? Since Samstown, not really. I like to keep my arsenal simple, which which is funny enough, it doesn't look simple. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I've got a phaser pedal, a chorus pedal, two delay pedals, and two two tube screamers, which I used. I use one kind of as a boost right. and one for just distortion. Right. And I use a whammy pedal, which is like on every guitar player's board now. And yeah, yeah. It almost should be taught at guitar lessons because there's so many things you can do with it. So most important question, have you played Guitar Hero or a rock band? Only one time. And um, I was with my friend Wyatt Boswell, and um, we were in Fry's Electronics, and he's like, come on, man, you got to see yourself on Guitar Hero. <laughs> because the display was out, so then right. he, you know, I don't, nobody knew who I was there. I don't think anyone noticed, but he put on When You Were Young, right. and I just played it in the store one time. How were you? I was all right, but I was like, I was kind of frustrated. I was like, no, that's not, that's not, I'm playing it right. I know how to play it. But <laughs> I wasn't, because I was kind of, wasn't doing that well. But I was like, you know, I thought, I think I know how to play that song. But. Most real <laughs> musicians are not that good at the games, it seems, even on their own songs. I know. It was, it was frustrating. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with me. Sure, an absolutely no great, problem. And I love the new record. It's, it was a pleasure. It's fantastic. This is Joe Basso with Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I've been speaking to Dave Kooning from The Killers. Dave, again, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.